Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal. Develop high-quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super-fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. So there's a reason why I started Blood Origins. And that reason is simple. Is that I wanted to convey the truth about hunting. It brings awareness to, to non-hunters that it's, it's more than just killing animals. How do I start it? Brittany. My name. My name. Is. <laughs> Does my hair look okay? It's fantastic. My name is Mike Axelrod. Start again. Yeah, I hated it too. <laughs> Braxton, you said something in the car to me. You said that you were living on borrowed time. Mm. There's a perception around who hunters are, what we're supposed to be, and a, a feminist that works for a non-profit that is a hunter that has only eaten wild game for the last 20 years is likely not the thing that people think about when it comes to a hunter. Lydia and Jimmy are the co-founders of a brand new non-profit, well not brand new, they've been going for two years, called Hunters of Color. I wanted to have Jimmy and Lydia on specifically to talk about their organization, talk about their heritage in hunting, whether they grew up hunting or their family hunted, and really just to get an idea for you, the Blood Origins podcast audience, about one who hunters of color are to hear about their passion and their enthusiasm for hunting and why they've started hunters for color and three what hunters of color does i think you'll find this podcast extremely informational and check them out check out huntersofcolor.org to see if you'd like to get involved but yes we we are oh there we go Yes, you are a couple. Let's just say it. It's This is the live podcast and people need to understand this kind of stuff. Like this is the whole point of us having this conversation is that, hey, who is HOC, right? right? Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, it's interesting. Um, you guys have only been on the scene for two years, maybe? Yep. Uh, two years in September. Two years in September. Um, Full-time job yet? Yes, for both of us, actually, as of this year, um, I worked for, for full time for about uh, about a year, a little over a year, year and a half, and didn't uh, didn't have any funding to pay myself. So I was couch hopping and, and uh, you know, eating, eating leftovers and, and mooching off of people, just trying to get this nonprofit up and running um, without really having funding. And then just this last year, we were able to get to a point where we were able to, to pay ourselves to do this work. 
Well, that's excellent. Well, uh, Lydia and Jimmy, welcome to the Blood Origins podcast. And uh, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself. Uh, Jimmy, I apologize. She's going to start as we (laughs) expect. So Lydia, go ahead. Um, Hi, my name is Lydia. I'm the executive director of Hunters of Color. I'm from the Walker Mohawk Band of the Ganyangayaka or Mohawk tribe in um, eastern New York, now Canada. Um, Six Nations, the Grand River Reservation is where my family's from. Um, And I'm here in Oregon as the executive director, like I said, of HOC. Um, And like Robbie mentioned, we've been around for about about two years now. And we're working on creating uh, space in the outdoors for everyone. Our, our motto is the outdoors are for everyone. And um, that's that's why we're here. Jimmy? Um, my name is Jimmy Flatt. Um, I'm the programs coordinator for Hunters of Color. Um, one of the co-founders and uh, originally from California, now living in Oregon. Do you have an ethnic background, Jimmy? Uh, yes, I do. Um, I'm uh, the child of immigrants um, from Venezuela and from the Philippines. Um, and they, they met up together in, in uh, California and um, the rest is history, I guess. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh, so you mentioned you're the co-founder. Would Lydia, you be the co-founder too or is there someone else? Yeah, and so we we kind of we kind of were diving into this just before the podcast um, started recording. So we actually have a third co-founder named Thomas Tyner. Um, he went to Oregon State University, as did Jimmy and I. That's where we all met. Um, but he played football at the University of Oregon. Um, I think he still holds the record for hundred meter dash in the state of Oregon in high school. Um, he's an amazing athlete and just a really kind hearted, sweet human being. Um, and Thomas, Thomas's name, um, he's black in the state of Oregon, which is only 2.2% black. So he noticed right away, there wasn't a lot of diversity in the state in general. Um, and then when he was hunting, he was like, man, I'm usually the only black person I see while I'm out, while I'm out here on the mountain. And he was like that for all of us. We're like, that's, it doesn't seem right. Like, it seems like everyone should be able to access the outdoors at every, every rate and whatever, wherever people want to access the outdoors. And um, so I know if he were here today, he would share he would share that um, he's he's now taken a job in eastern Oregon. He stepped away for a while, uh, but I told him to be scouting out there for us for for muleys and <laughs> whatever else they have out in eastern Oregon. When does uh, when does turkey season start in Oregon? Uh, April 15th. Uh, About two weeks, a little over two weeks. Yeah, two weeks away. And I might be headed down to California this weekend to try and try and get some birds before the opener in Oregon. Um, I'm flying to California on Thursday. What part? To shoot turkeys in the face. <laughs> what, what part? Uh, Napa Valley. Oh, um, I'm not going to make it that far south. But that's originally where I'm from. Um, so oh, cool. I've got, uh, I know the, the hills well there. Uh, I'm excited. A little bit of downtime. I don't get to, uh, and you probably have found this already as as people who are engaged and passionate in building a, as people that are passionate about a topic and have chosen to start a nonprofit, what you find out very quickly, and maybe this is not true of you, I don't want to make any assumptions, but it's certainly true of me, and that I don't get to do the thing that I'm fighting for every single day. (laughs) And uh, in 2021, I totaled it up. I hunted three days. In total, and I didn't even take my kids hunting, which is sad 
very, very, very sad. And so we're trying to rectify that with balance. And um, so, yeah, no, that's, that's, that's the whole point of it, right? It's just, you got to figure it out. You got to figure out balance. Um, No, that's, it's, so Hunters for Color is started because of this idea. Oh, that's what I was, I'm going off on a a tangent here because I was trying to figure out what I had in the back of my brain that (laughs) you said, Lydia, and this is what you said. You said you're from the Mohawk Nation. Mm -hmm. And unbelievably, it's one of the only Indian tribes that I know of with, with someone else. Oh. And his name is Rob Lahash. Rob Lahash. His name, uh, and he is his his Native American name is Bright Sun. Hmm. He's in Canada. Uh-huh. And um, he his Instagram handle is the Western Mohawk. Oh, interesting. Okay. And we've done a this is my why on him. And he told a story about he told a story out actually, um, I think he was actually hunting wolves. And he told about the story of creation, essentially. And the people recording him had never actually heard him tell that story. And they were like, whoa, what is this story? It's a phenomenal story. Just go check it out. It's on a This Is My Why on YouTube, Rob Lahash. Um, It's got a, uh, and I assume it's the same Mohawk Nation. It's it's got a purple, it's like a purple flag with a white. Yes, 100%. You can find it. I've got it. I've got the purple flag. See? Cool. Yeah, the Hiawatha, Hiawatha wampum flag. Yeah, absolutely. I told Rob that I was very keen on doing a Blood Origins episode on him. Yes. Um, and he told me, he was like, have you ever done a sweat ceremony? And I was like, mm, I don't, that is definitely a negative. And he goes, well, we have to do a sweat ceremony first because that's when the truth comes out. And I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, Can I do it? Oh, we're going to do it. Okay. We're certainly, we're going to go up and do it. Um, he is, yeah, his community is tied in with some bison that they, they hunt every year. And wow. um, he's just an amazing, amazing individual. Um, so, yeah, we haven't done it yet because of all the borders and stuff like that. But we may get up ducks in a row and do it in, in 2023 for sure. That's amazing. That's that's really cool. And I think, I, I mean, I would be so excited. I'm sure other people would enjoy it too, but I would be personally very excited to watch that that episode. And I think that um, part of the reason we started Hunters of Color and part of the reason this is so near and dear to me is because hunting is so ingrained and you do such a good job with this, with Blood Origins too, but hunting is so ingrained into all of our DNAs. None of us would be here if our, if our ancestors weren't good hunters at some point, you know? And mm-hmm. so for, for my family, for my tribe um, in particular, uh, just, just a couple months ago, we were, I, I meet with a bunch of educators from my tribe once a month and um, we were looking at um, flint-napped arrowheads from 5,000 years ago. They've dated them to 5,000 years ago on on this continent. And arrowheads that were, I mean, took a lot of time to make and had to be had to be lethal because that's how how we fed ourselves. That's how the men would go out and and, and feed us alongside our gardens. Um, but that was it was and still is such an important life way um, and a connection that we should have to the land, especially as indigenous peoples who mm-hmm. have here for so long mm-hmm. jimmy because your parents were essentially immigrants into this country right yeah. um did your father hunt did you did, did what, what was that like um so my my dad uh he fished a lot 
um, and his dad. Was your dad Venezuelan or Filipino? Filipino. Okay. Uh, so he fished a lot. Uh, he was a uh, ex-military. Um, so born and raised around guns. Um, and he was also a game warden on uh, Camp Pendleton um, when he was on in the Marines um, on that base. Um, but he always saw the worst part of hunting. He had to write up tickets. He had to punish people for breaking the law or whatever it was. Um, and so he he didn't think that it was crucial for me to to know when I was growing up. Um, and it was when I when I was about eight years old. A uh, family friend noticed that I, like, my parents couldn't keep me out out uh, from the outdoors, and so they were like, "He needs to he needs to go hunting." And so, a uh, family friend took me and my dad out for our first actual hunt together. Uh, I I was just uh, observing, not toting a gun or anything. And after that, uh, I was I was sold. Um, next year, I, I took my hunter safety in California. Uh, and then that next, that next spring I was chasing turkeys around up in the foothills of Sonoma Valley. And, um, and that fall came around and I was, I was after ducks in the, the wetlands of, of California. So, um, I started young, uh, from like a, I guess a relatively young age. Um, but it wouldn't have came to fruition or I would never been, been introduced to hunting if it weren't for our family friend who, kind of took us in under his wing and was like, Hey, this is how you go. This is where you go. Mm -hmm. uh, these are the, the laws and regulations. Um, come with me. Mm -hmm. um, and so like, I, I grew up with, with stories of hunting because all my, all my Venezuelan family, they, they used to own a ranch um, in Venezuela and all of them hunted all my uncles, all my aunts, they all hunted on the, the property in Venezuela. But the second they came to the United States, the, the regulations were too, uh, too hard to understand or uh, there are other time commitments or whatnot that just kept them from passing that tradition on. And so it, it took me to, to take it on as a, I guess, a young youth um, to reconnect to that heritage that was left behind in Venezuela. Mm. Mm. Does your dad still hunt today? Is he still alive today? Yeah, he's still alive. Uh, he doesn't hunt without me. Um, so he, he kind of sees it as like a, it's a, it's a time for me and him to hang out and bond. Um, and when I'm not there, he just doesn't have that connection. Um, and so I think, I think he's gone a couple times without me and he just didn't think it was that fun without me. Mm -hmm. So, um, whenever I get a chance to go down to, to the Valley, I, I try and get him out as much as I can. Are you like taking him turkey hunting? Um, not this year. Um, but I think next year I'm trying to get him out on like a spring bear hunt. He likes to he likes to take our venison though. That's for sure. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Even if he's not actively out there, he definitely likes the wild game, and he's a he's a really good chef. This year, actually, though, Jimmy's taking Jonathan Wilkins um, hunting in California from Black Duck Revival. I don't know if you've had him on yet, um, but he's awesome, awesome chef, um, awesome leader in in the outdoor space, and so that's who Jimmy's gonna be taking this year in lieu of his dad <laughs> yeah we were trying to get a podcast squared away with him had it lined up he pulled out just never haven't connected we'll have to connect with him again yeah um, Lydia did you grow up hunting 
No, I didn't. And so I think that this was something I was going to say too. Jimmy, Jimmy, as a young person, was able to experience that connection between a mentor and having a mentor outside of the family and the need for that um, because his, his family were immigrants. They didn't have that connection to hunting in, in his parents' generation. And, um, and so... But it doesn't have to be, he doesn't have to be an immigrant to do that, right? It could be yeah. anyone, it, yeah, right? It's, yeah. it's, not, it's not necessarily, I'm, again, I'm being purposeful in terms of... Oh, yeah, yeah, of course not. That was that was that their reason in their family, though. Mm-hmm. So we all have mm-hmm. different experiences. Um, and so Jimmy experienced had to learn from an out, outside mentor, and just like anyone who doesn't have uh, immediate family who can teach them how to hunt, you, you know, having those outside mentors, having people who will take you under their wing is so important. Um, and and yes, and of course, while like there's different you know, reasons for that, my family, for example, obviously aren't immigrants. You know, my dad, my dad's indigenous. My mom is white. And uh, my dad's clearly not an immigrant. He's <laughs> been here for a very long time. Family's been here, we say, since time immemorial. Um, and so when my parents got together, my dad actually grew up in a city. And still to this day, he's 64 years old this year. He's never touched a firearm. Um, and yeah, he had this aversion of firearms growing up in a city where people weren't always using them to procure meat mm-hmm. it could be a weapon more than a tool with a means to an end in a lot of in a lot of places and so he had that experience growing up my mom on the other hand grew up in rural um, uh, middle of nowhere Oregon and her family actually subsistence hunted and that's how they put food on the table for her and her eight siblings and the four other step siblings and that's how they had to feed all the kids wow. and so um, I had my mom's side of the family hunted. She didn't hunt. My dad still, he, he will only touch archery equipment. He would never, I mean, he still won't, won't touch a, touch a firearm. Um, but so I had these really two different identities when it came to hunting juxtaposed right next to each other. And it wasn't until I met Thomas and Jimmy that we actually, I actually started hunting. So that was four or five years ago now. Um, and the first hunt they took me on was a, uh, Oregon coast elk hunt. And I don't know why you'd ever start someone on the Oregon coast with these inclines that, I mean, were just, it felt like I was going straight up a cliff and mm-hmm. the, guys, the guys were so much taller than me. They're walking in front of me, which was also a mistake. They would step in front of Slap. me, a tree branch or a fern or whatever it was, would smack me in the face. By the end of it, I'm all torn up. I didn't have the right gear. So my pants were all torn up and I loved every second of it. <laughs> and so um, here we are, you know, what was it? I might've complained a bit at the time, but here we are. Um, yeah. About five years later and still hooked. Um, and yeah, now going after turkeys this year, um, got my first snow goose at, at Jonathan Wilkins this past year. So yeah, it's been, it's been quite a journey, but I'm also, as I'm talking about mentorship, I'm an example of an adult uh hunter who needed mentorship you know thomas also learned i believe he was like 16 or 17 years old and learned from a family friend um so we're just really grateful for any mentors um and totally understand the need the need and in ourselves even so i'll ask the most obvious question um right now which is and i've asked this to persons of color that we've engaged in that we've told stories about and so i'm keen to hear your guys answer to it why why do you see a lack of diversity out in the woods? It's not like they, they, didn't, they don't have hunting in their background. And when I say they, I mean minorities like Alex. Alex grew up surrounded by hunting. Mm-hmm. 
And he's got lots of uncles that hunt and huge clubs that hunt. And they're all African-Americans. So why? Well, there's, there's a myriad of, of reasons. Uh, and every person has a, an individualistic uh, reason why they, they don't get into it. Mine was because my family got away from their hunting heritage. Um, others, it'll be that they don't see community. Um, they don't have anybody in their immediate family. And, and one of the things that we always say that is, is if you remove anybody from anything for one generation, it's really hard to, to get back into that thing. If you don't have that connection or that, that resource that is experience and knowledge, uh, for instance, swimming, if you didn't learn how to swim and you weren't, didn't grow up around water. Uh, you're going to be scared or timid around water until you tiptoe back into swimming. Mm -hmm. um, and hunting's, hunting uh, is no different. If you, if you grow up away from uh, a culture that um, has hunting in it, if you grow up away from uh, individuals who don't hunt, um, the, the likelihood of you jumping into it is, is hard. Um, Another example that I, I speak about often is my best friend, uh, Raul, his family, another set of immigrants, but from Mexico. Um, when they got to California, hunting was the last thing on their priority list. Um, even though they hunted all the time in Mexico, when they got to the United States, they their sole job was to work to make sure that their children, so my, my best friend's uh, generation, didn't have to worry about uh, putting food on the table or didn't have mm -hmm. to worry about uh, paying the bills or, or whatever it was. So it, it was not a priority of their family to go out. And because of that, he never got into it. And from him all the time growing up, when I would invite him hunting, he'd always say, oh, hunting's a white thing. Well, hunting's a white thing. Well, there's this misconception in the United States that hunting is very white, but it also goes back to the data and that shows that 97% of all hunters in the United States are white. Uh, and so uh, it's not, it's not misplaced, um, but it also is, uh, it's sad because people like me who got into hunting and just want to spread that love and that passion for the outdoors and conservation and hunting want to bring in people from our community into the, the place to make it better, to make it more of uh, to make it more of like a family tradition. And, and that's, that's why I do what I do. Um, uh, because I, I loathed whenever I tried to get somebody out and they were, they would respond with, Oh, hunting's a white thing. Or, uh, you don't, you don't look like a hunter. Well, what does a hunter look like? Mm -hmm. And so, um, uh, yeah, there, everybody has their own reasons. Um, uh, in the South, there are, there are more black hunters in the South than anywhere in the nation. Um, in the Southwest, there's more Hispanic hunters than anywhere in the nation. Uh, Isn't that just a factor of the population dynamics in those specific areas, right? Yep. Yeah, and it makes sense. And same, like what I said, that Oregon is only identifies, I think it's like 1.6% Native American, 2.2% black, 13% Hispanic, and then the rest of people in Oregon identify as white. And so, of course, when Thomas is out hunting, he's not going to run into as many people of color, as many black people as he would when he's, as Alex would down in the South. Um, 
And so I think that lends to the idea of community, right? And like having having people who look like you, representation, um, having like friends and family who do hunt so that you feel comfortable entering the outdoors or you feel like you have mentors or people to look up to. And that's a, that's a whole nother factor when you ask, you know, why or that was how we first got into Hunters of Color is because, you know, Jimmy and Thomas kind of talking about their personal experiences. Um, and then the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service um, published their uh their data in 2016, the demographic data that showed that uh, 97% of licensed hunters identify as white. And so it wasn't like they had these misplaced conceptions about, you know, what hunting demographics were like just based on their personal experiences. It actually was founded in the research that the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service did. Um, And I think that I think that that's what turned on Jimmy's mind to start thinking about, okay, then this is clearly there's clearly an issue here. If only 64, 63 point whatever percent of the nation identifies as white, why is it that, that the outdoors or why is it that hunting has this discrepancy in race? Why, why aren't people of color accessing it to a proportional amount? And that's our goal too. I think so often when people hear us talking about what we do or hunters of color, even the name, people are like, oh, you're, you're trying to you know, only make the outdoors for people of color. And I'm like, no, our motto is the outdoors are for everybody. We're trying, our vision is an outdoors and, and hunting community that represents the demographics of the United States. Because right now, statistically, it doesn't. And observationally, it doesn't. When, when we, you know, even just last, last week, we were up at Spokane at the North American, or the North American Wildlife and Natural Resources Conference, International Conservation Conference, um, with all kinds of folks from every every part of the country and, and, and Canada as well. And I think out of 750 in-person attendees, there were like four people of color, not including us. Um, and so there's there clearly is observationally an issue and statistically. And I think that part of the reason for that, again, when you ask why, like Jimmy mentioned, is lack of community, um, which then leads to a lack of knowledge, right? Or exposure to two things like hunting. So it makes it seem foreign, it makes it seem different or something that your your friends don't do or your family doesn't do. Um, and then the reason for our mentorship program, to answer that why and then how, how, we, how we address this issue is to create a mentorship program, is to create an opportunity for people to find mentors outside of their families. We call it building surrogate families, right? In communities where you can have someone you look up to like a mother or a father. You can have someone you look up to like a big brother who can take you under their wing and teach you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's really important in our, in our world, per, from our purview, because if 97% of people who hunt identify as white and According to statistics, 75% of all white folks in the U.S. have all white circles. So that overlap of those two things being an issue, that means that those skills aren't being translated in a lot of communities to people of color. Mm-hmm. And so we're trying to break that down by building a bridge between you know, mm-hmm. rural white communities or even urban white communities and communities of color that want to learn how to hunt. In terms of the statistics, I mean, I want to, I want to, push on a couple of numbers so the first one you said 97 according to fish and wildlife service in 2016 97 percent of all hunters identify as white in the same survey they identified the demographic generally across the united states of just correct me here if i'm wrong you said 65 percentish identifying as white right in terms of the population that wasn't the u.s fish and wildlife service that's just the census general census yeah yeah general census okay so we've got a disparity of 30%, essentially, right, is what we're working with here. Um, Naturally, that 30% is going to vary depending on where you are in the country, right? So, for instance, in Oregon, you just described 
that that 3% number may be quite correct, right? In that 97% is white and 2% is African-American or Native American and 1.6% is, I might have mixed up those two numbers. I apologize. Um, so is there specific, so getting into what Hunters of Colors do, you just mentioned a mentorship program. Because of that ratio, do you use that ratio as almost a, a, a guideline of where you focus your efforts or it's just like, ah, we're just going to go right now where, where we, can, we can do the work? Um, we're going where we're seeing the most demand. Um, and we're seeing people signed up for our programming all over the board right now. So just back um, up a little bit and explain what the program is. So the program is a, a mentorship program. Uh, and so to, for that, we have mentors who are experienced hunters, people who are willing to bridge that gap of, of knowledge and experience. Okay. And below them, we have mentees. Mentees um, come in at three different levels. Uh, entry level, which is zero to no uh, experience, um, just interest. Um, there's intermediate, somebody with some firearm experience, some hunting experience, but hasn't really uh, made it click yet. And then okay. lastly is somebody who is just on the brink. They're, they're hunting. They're just not finding success because they... Uh, they want either need community to go with, um, they aren't spending enough time out because they just don't have anybody to go with, um, or, uh, they're, they're looking for that, just like that one piece of advice, how to call or, or whatever it is. Um, and so through these levels, we hope that eventually these mentees will become mentors for the next, mm -hmm. generation. um, but what we're, what we're seeing, so that, that's kind of an overview of the mentorship program, but we're seeing is throughout the country, there's interest in key pocket areas. Um, New York City, uh, the San Francisco Bay Area, L LA, um, a lot of metropolitan areas are, we're seeing a lot of interest. Um, and especially during the, the pandemic, when we kind of, of course, yeah. came, came to be, everybody's looking for uh, new ways to, to get aside, to be more sustainable, to be able to, to provide for yourself if these food paths and these systems that we have in place right now uh, do crash. Um, and so people are looking to, to learn. Um, another study came out, I forget who it was by, um, but it showed that you, the youth that were surveyed, it was like almost uh, like 38% of all youth want to learn how to hunt. Um, they're interested, they're intrigued. Um, and the, the demographics are there, but like the, the, I mean, Hispanic uh, youth were like, I think it was like 27%. 16%. Black youth was 15%. Um, white youth was 14%. Asian youth was 11%, but Native Americans, it was something like 40 years. Yeah, it was really, it was really high, um, which makes sense. And I also do want to throw in the caveat when we're talking about statistics that the U S fish and wildlife surveys number 97% is for mm -hmm. life licensed hunters. Mm -hmm. um, and so if there's folks who are hunting on reservation, for example, through a reservation system, it, they, they don't get counted. Right, right. Yeah, which which will obviously skew numbers slightly, but also uh, Indigenous Americans are like the smallest demographic number in the first place in, in the U.S. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, um, yeah. So how many mentor programs have you got set up right now? Um, so currently, well, last year we, we did programming in in four states, 
um, and we were able to get out 58 new hunters. Um, so that's 58 mentees. Um, and then this year we'll be in, uh, I believe, 10 states um, with the goal to get to triple that original number. Um, and so uh, we're, we're locating these, these uh, communities that we're calling them in key areas that are around those metropolitan areas that we're getting a lot of, a lot of uh, interest from. And um, yeah, and the, the, their events will be, they're starting as early as this, this spring uh, turkey season. Actually one happened, uh, concluded yesterday in New Mexico. Um, so they're, they're happening all over the place. Great, great. It almost sounds like a, dare I call it a, a pyramid scheme and that you've got one guy at the top, you've got four underneath him, those four become the, the, the top of the pyramid and it just sort of percolates down. Yeah, uh, I don't want to see uh, linear growth. I want to see exponential growth. <laughs> 100%. Well, you've got the model for exponential growth. It's, you know, that's the model. One yeah. makes five, five makes 15. You know, that's the way it goes. Yeah. Yeah. And it's been great, too. It's been easier to find where these communities are than we expected because we because there's so much need. There's so much interest, which I think the hunting and conservation community should be so excited that there's so much interest. Um from women, from people of color, from youth that are really, you know, the next generation depends on all of us, right? The next, the next 10, 20, 30 years, 40 years of conservation funding depends on all of us. And um, so I'm, I've been really like overwhelmed in the best way possible when we get so many emails and so many messages. When are you going to be in Wisconsin? When are you going to be in Nebraska? <laughs> when are you going to be in Georgia? Oh, sure, sure. Yeah, it's really exciting and, and encouraging. Well, you guys are doing a phenomenal job. Um, obviously, it's something that's needed, as you've been showing with the numbers. Um, you've just gotten started, just like us, as a nonprofit. Um, so I understand the trials and tribulations, um, and I, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a passion project, and that's what it is. It's, it's, it's your love for this thing that you love so much, and you want to give it, and you want to show it to others that may not know what it's like. Absolutely. Yeah, you mentioned not being not being able to hunt except for was it three times you said last year? That's three days. Three days. Yeah, that sounds so familiar. For me, it was not being able to sleep. <laughs> I don't think I don't think people understand. I mean, you do. Starting a nonprofit is hard, and and getting getting the basis, getting the getting the foundations correct, getting the legal side of things correct, getting the insurance, getting the all of the all of the above, all the fundraising that goes into it. It's not easy. Um, and so I think for me, it was, I did not get enough sleep the, <laughs> the past two years. Um, but thankfully, we, we have help now. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, look, uh, reach out to us at any time. Let people know where they can find Hunters of Color, maybe some events that are coming down the pipeline in the summer, maybe. Um, yeah. So, well, one, you can find us at, at Hunters of Color um, on all the socials. Um, huntersofcolor.org um, and then we're working on a western big game program um, that's a two-year program that'll be starting uh, this fall um, application for that will be coming up sometime in, in late April early May um, we've also got uh, our community started um, each community or actually 
Um, we're working with BHA, Backcountry Hunters and Anglers, this year, and we're hosting um, five separate uh, outreach programs in uh, key cities. So one is Portland, um, San Francisco, uh, Atlanta, Georgia, New York City, and Pittsburgh. Uh, yeah. And so those, those courses um, are basically like a, a crash course on what hunting is. Um, no actual like field days or anything, but those will funnel into, um, our programs that will be, um, happening starting this fall. Um, well, they're starting right now, but by the time if you show up to one of those, you'll, you'll, you're most likely going to be entered into, to be hunting that fall. Mm -hmm. In those programs, are you talking about how you carry yourself in social media and how you portray yourself as a hunter? I hope you do. Um, yeah, we should add a section about that. <laughs> uh, yes, um, that's definitely high on our priority list to, to teach it the right way. Um, one thing growing up in California is that there's there's an anti-hunting sentiment. What? No. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know nothing about that. <laughs> uh, it, it's funny because like different parts of the country you go to, it's it's sometimes the, the for, with hunters of color, sometimes it's the of color that gets people all riled up. And then in other parts of the country, it's the hunters that gets people riled up. And in California, it's the hunters portion. For sure. And so, yeah, growing up there, I... I, I don't want your kind of diversity. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, growing up there, it, it, was, it was always a, a struggle to, to even admit that I was a hunter because I got associated with all the the redneck, uh, uh, stigmas that, that sure, sure. here with being a hunter. Um, uh, and I've, I've prided myself on never, uh, being like that and trying to, uh, change that, that narrative as well. And the last thing I'll say too, as we, um, sounds like we, as we close out here, um, our website has a ton of information for people who are, are still not so sure or, or want to learn more or want to want to help in some way or another. So huntersofcolor.org is our website. Um, awesome. you can sign up to be a mentor. Um, there's a frequently asked questions page where we touch on things like this, you know, why, why of color? Um, you know, one of the most common questions we get is, isn't that political? And we have to step back and say, no, we come from so many different walks of life. You wouldn't believe the, I mean, diversity in political affiliations, beliefs, creeds, mottos, whatever it is from people even on our own staff. Um, and the importance is that we all share the outdoors, no matter what we believe or where we come from. Um, and that's why our motto is the outdoors are for everyone. And so mm -hmm. it's all on our website. Um, and we appreciate any support, any questions or any, any, any comments. Um, and I'm sure Robbie, as you know, and as you're, as you're talking about, we appreciate any comments the anti-hunting comments, though, are just, <laughs> they, they'll get you. They'll come out of the woodwork. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you talked yeah. about, you know, I, I jokingly said they don't, in California, they don't like your kind of diversity. And uh, I remember James Hetfield, the lead singer of Metallica, talking to Joe Rogan about why he moved from California. And he was, you know, in some Hollywood suburb or whatnot. Um and uh, why he moved to Colorado. And he was like, because when I came home with my mule deer on the rack and had my mule deer, the, the neighbors didn't care so much. And he said they didn't care so much. They were all about diversity, but they weren't so much for my kind of diversity. Yeah. Um, 
so it was uh, really good good and he and he has kuyu on his guitar when he plays at, oh, at Metallica awesome. concerts so he's a pretty oh, cool dude. I didn't realize that that's very cool. um yeah if you want any help in terms of you know in terms of social media and respect and what you say and how to say it and how to engage and mm-hmm. what not to post what to post and infuse that into your programs I'd be happy to help because I think those new hunters that are coming into the fold are probably the most susceptible to seeing something, or, oh, I should be posting like that, or, hey, that guy gets a lot of likes and engagement, and I should be doing the same thing, whereas it shouldn't be for that, but rather showing the respect for the animal and showing respect for the lifestyle and whatnot. Absolutely. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, that's great. Well, Lydia, Jimmy, thank you, man. Um, appreciate you being on. Yeah, thank, thank you. you so much for having us, Robbie. Looking forward to working with you more in this in this space. You're welcome. Well, that's it for today. I appreciate you listening, as always. Leave a review, share it with your friends, and most importantly, do what's right to convey the truth around hunting. Brave anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Abyss Battery, Waypoint TV.